making sure that you know you understand that how you behave is how your crew are going to behave and if you're really stressed they're going to get stressed or if you show your stress they're going to get stressed you can't let that mask slip really hello hello my name is edgar dubrovsky i'm a london-based dp and welcome to open filmmakers talk Firstly, thanks so much for listening, subscribing and sharing the first two episodes of the show. I've seen the stats and it just, it blows my mind. So the chats have been heard in over 20 countries. Um, this is nuts. This truly, thank you so much. This week I talked to Ben Spencer, a fellow UK-based DP. Ben shoots commercials in long form. His recent work includes an astonishing second season of End of the Fucking World four episodes directed by his long-term collaborator Lucy Forbes, who they shot The Great In My Skin, by the way, available on BBC iPlayer. Actually, they're preparing their next job together right now, a series called This Is Going To Hurt, based on a heartwarming and heartbreaking book by then-junior Dr. Adam Kay about his first years in an NHS. Highly recommend to read it, actually, especially in times like these. Paints a really true remarkable picture of how doctors think, live and work. This episode is a duo of sorts. Ben and myself realized that both of us have this notepad where we write down the mistakes we've made. So we decided to grill each other on them, compare, learn and um, have a laugh. We do swear time to time um, quite a bit. So just a warning if you have kids or are a kid, swearing exists, but this might not be the right time to discover that. Also, I just remind you, this is a re-edited audio version of the chat which took place over Instagram. So, excuse the quality, tried our best, um, enjoy. You have the file, I have the book we discussed. So, yep. we do write it down and I wonder for what purposes. Is it to sort of remember the failure, to learn from it? For me, I, I write it down because my memory is terrible because I'm 38 years old and I went to too many parties in my 20s and I can't remember anything. And then also I think for me, you know, when I write it down, I'm, I'm more likely to remember it. I've just got the list up or part my version of the list. And also I write it down because also when I was looking at it just now, I realised how many things I write down again and again and again and I still don't learn. And it's like, yes. wow, how can I not be learning this shit? But my first one I've written down is a quote verbatim, make an obvious fuss over products, you penis. So that's myself writing <laughs> to myself. And then I've got another, I've got a few of them here. Ben, can you clarify? That was more the fuss you mean to have more time or more kind of pretend you care to clients? Well, that, that actual specific one was a little bit more make a fuss, like make an obvious, yeah, visible yeah. fuss, get your light meter out, throw some gels, dim some lights, make a, politics, a bit of DOP magic. A little, yeah, little yeah, you yeah. know, pull the rabbit out of the hat and, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. One bring it up, bring it up, five percent, no, two percent, yeah, yeah. yeah. All that but, but also, you know, I've also written down as well that, you know, shooting products of any kind is essentially a pack shot. If the product's in it, it's a pack shot. Always look at, always ask to see their product beforehand, always think about how you're going to light it, always think about how it's going to look its best, look at how other people have shot it before, do those sort of things. And that's the first thing which I've written down here to talk to you about today, which is, as not a, you know, originally a commercial DOP, for me, that's the thing which I cannot stop hammering home to myself. It's like, oh my God, you're here to sell some shit. Whatever it is, you've got to make it look appealing. Yeah, totally agree. I think it's in terms of the pack shots or anything where the, the product is in. If I had to make one rule without even knowing what the shoot is and advice to like younger gang kind of stepping into commercials is usually you would be asked to overlight to your taste, especially nowadays where you're meant to kind of shadow is the king and you're meant to sort of do a bit of neon here and there and so on. Yeah. If you're shooting a bread commercial, which happened to me like uh, maybe two years ago, it was like tons and tons of light on that like piece of loaf. And, and they were like, no, but we need a bit more. And I was like, Guys, leave that to post for sure. Like selecting mm. that part of your packaging to pop, I can't really do it. Like it's just easier for you to, to perfect it and post. But then the politics kick in as well that you were sort of meant to care. Like you say, yeah, you make a fuss of it. But they also mm. imagine as layers that these agency people, they meant to make a fuss in front of each other. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this is good. Oh, this is not good. I had the other way where it was perfect. But yet for someone to show their power, they'll be like, this, this blue is too blue. You're like, yeah. what do you mean? I want blue a bit more green. And you're like, but this is literally pre-arranged colors of your brand. Like we literally picked it and then kind of matched it. Like, no, no, but this this is too blue. 
Yep. Okay, this is too blue. Let's let's pretend we care and work on that for half an hour. Yeah. So, what's your, so my your first your one was not prepared enough for interviews. Oh, so okay. I started going from due to my agent kind of pushing me for for drama and features. I had a wave of interviews where like I met a bunch of directors and read and at different stages, some were like even recalls because there's a lot of people, I guess, battling for the job somewhere just to phone. But I felt generally I could have done more. I felt, mm. and we discussed it briefly somewhere else. It was kind of not enough visuals, for example, which I still wrap, wrapping my head around where I have to show other people's visuals at an interview. I struggle with that concept because I might not be able to shoot this the same way I sort of bring up the reference, but understand the game that that's what director and producer might want you because I want to yeah. imagine the film you were imagining. So I'm mm. still grappling with, I shot some and that was kind of early, like relatively early note, maybe I think year, year and a half ago after a string of interviews, which didn't go that, but they went well, but I felt they were wanting more. Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's my first one. And, and how did you do your reference documents then? Were you doing just your own work? Was it just stuff you It would be, I would kind of experiment and see people's reactions. So I would do either scenes and then show them how the scene could be shot or certain movements of the camera. Then I went in, even into previs. So I use that scene designer thingy. So I prevised a couple scenes even, sort of lit Deep them. In, yeah. yeah, in a pretend one. And yet still, even at that interview, there was a kind of a bit of a comment. So do you have like screen grabs from like, you know, to see the bit better? I'm like, fucking hell, it's like a 3D render of your actual scene. Yeah. Like this actual <laughs> character. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. But they have like a, you have like a, a screen grab. I'm like, yeah, I guess you can imagine. Like, I don't know. It was, that reference was sort of like Lynch and Mulholland Drive in a cab racing. You're like, yeah, I can pull it up, but you're literally looking at your scene visualized yeah. to the best of my ability. From Paris, Texas in there. Fucking don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, oh, yeah. I wonder, yeah, how do you deal with interviews? Did you feel I you mean, got better then or you were good kind of straight away? Well, no, I mean, I've only I've, I've done two interviews ever. I mean, I don't oh, really? do. I've been working for like 18 years. I've only just sort of really started to do jobs where I get interviewed. It's always been my directors, my fr people who are my friends who I've known for 10 plus years who could get me on board with stuff. So I've only done two interviews ever. One was for The End of the Fucking World, which was with my director friend, Lucy Forbes. So I had a friend in the room straight away and we'd been talking about it for ages. I knew exactly what to do and what not to do and what to say and what not to say. The job wasn't mine, but it was mine to lose rather than mine to get. And then the other one I actually did in lockdown it was a couple of weeks ago. And it was for a job which I can't say what it is. But it was about two weeks ago, and I did a 30-page mood board, and I was speaking to the director, someone I've known for a very long time, someone who is a good friend of mine, and they said, we, I went through all the mood board stuff, and uh, I got a phone call the next day saying, uh, all the execs think it was a bit too moody. I was like, right, too moody. Um, <laughs> and I was like, this is, what? this is a nightmare. I'm supposed to get this job. Uh, so wow. but, I, mean, yeah, I might not get it i think that everything's on sort of go slow because of you know coronavirus so yeah, but that's yeah, the I'm ultimate thinking. battle right we were talking about this idea of how much do you want to show because they might be like well that's your final final look and you're like no it's the first meeting it can't be final look and how much so, you meant to sort of basically bullseye it into like yes that's exactly how we imagine in my opinion, you're supposed to be saying a little bit like this, but it, it's whatever you're doing, it's a new show, it's a new advert, it's not made before. They're saying the combination of actors, location, lighting, time of the day, all that kind of shit hasn't actually been done before, otherwise you're just remaking something. So I found it a little bit surprising, but I'm not going to, you know, I'll, I'll start oh, yes. going to see what happens. Yeah. But you yeah. know, for me, when I do reference documents, I deep dive into my references folder, watch a few films, pull a few stills out, and I think I think it's fine to show other people's work because it's so much better than mine. I just nick other people's amazing frames. I'm sure I've nicked a few frames of yours over the years. And put them on, put them I'm sure, like, there's a lot of yours as mine as well. Yeah, it's just good. Because there is a certain nice feeling. Because in the commercials, you do get treatment, so it's, it's a bit different. So they kind of visualize pretty well what... Yeah, and it's always fun to see your friend's work or your own work sometimes in a treatment. You're like, oh, fuck, someone like screen grabbed it. Which kind of leads me, there's a whole other topic of Instagram and Instagram usage and the way we had to adapt to it being the new portfolio. It was never designed to be a portfolio. It was designed to be a social media app, kind of just sharing mm -hmm. with friends. And then kind of in half a year, somewhere, what, five years, four years ago, it just sort of like everything came around where 
you meant to know a certain amount of good screen grabs from each project. So not so mm. much the movement anymore, especially for commercial DPs and music videos, the people who understood the power of a good screen grab from a relatively, yeah, a relatively average project became kings on Insta because you're like, mm -hmm. I've seen the music video. It's good. It's not as great as these three grabs. But suddenly that game was on. It was just on. Yep. You could not avoid it. What do you think about that happening, obviously? Because you're good on it. Like, you're big in terms of numbers on Insta. Yeah, but I spent a fucking long time taking photos of dogs doing poos, you know, because that was what I liked. Was there like a point? You're like, okay, I need to to up yeah, that game because yeah. I'll be it like. Was, it was thing like something like 2015, 2016. I was like, hold up, this is my sort of public facing thing here. This is not just can't just be photos of dog doing poos. So I was like, this has to really represent the best of my work. And luckily enough, when I do a you know any old advert, I shoot twenty five thousand frames. So surely there must be one in there. Which if I run it through Lightroom again and I put a little crop on it. It's going to look all right. So I think there's a lot of bullshit about Instagram. And I totally agree with you. I do think there is a truth in it, in that if, as a DOP, you can't look after a single frame of your own, you know, if you can't put a single one thing out there, which is good, even if you've polished that shit to perfection, even if you've done layer after layer of shapes and whatever's and cropped it and done whatever, you need to have something good out there at the end of that. Because if you can't be trusted with that, on Instagram, how can you be trusted with a commercial? How can you be trusted with a, a film or whatever you want to shoot, TV show? So I kind of think there is a sort of an element of truth in that you have with Instagram, it is purity of you have to do some one thing good out of the 25 trillion frames you've shot. Make one, which is nice. Come on, you've got all this time. You've got to do whatever you want. Pick any subject you want. Take a photo of anything you want. Make it good. So yes, I sort of roll my eyes at my own Instagram. And one day Instagram will shut down and that day I'll be really happy. I'll be like, oh, thank you. Thank you. It'll be interesting times. It'll be a very wild west in certain industries. But <laughs> tell totally. me, like, when... We'll be on, when... We'll be on TikTok doing dances for our... Quibi, Quibi. Tell me, when Instagram became big and you became subsequently as well getting quite good numbers, did it affect your thinking in terms of shooting certain projects? Well, like, you're like, yeah, that's a good, that's a good scene for, for Insta. This will be the still. Or you sort of disassociated and then fished through. Yeah, I mean, it'd be probably be lowest common denominator for me personally. It'd be like, oh my God, this job is shit. I'm really not enjoying myself. You know, it's too dead, but whatever it might be, I'm really not enjoying myself. And you go, at least I know there's one good shot, which is going to be on Instagram. At least I can pull a single thing out of this. So, yeah. Problem with Instagram, though, it's not necessarily about your pictures. It's not about necessarily about making good pictures. What it is, is about chatting to people and writing great shots on other people's stuff and things like that, which I, I try really not to because it's a bit hateful, but that's really what it's about. It's not necessarily about making cross, nice Cross pictures. pollination, yeah. Yeah, totally, which is such bullshit. Well, how do you feel about it? What's your... I, I feel sort of, you can either ignore the elephant in a room that is a selection of how we present our work there. But mm. then at the same time, I agree that it is kind of, it does prove to a certain extent that you can shoot quite well because also it means you select well because we've always done that. We always shot I would say maybe five times more commercials that end up on the reel, like four, oh, either Easy. super bland or no one totally, like yeah. needs to see them because the yeah. brand is so boring. So it's Insta is just a new way, maybe slightly more on steroids, where people think, oh, that's all they shoot. Or, oh, that's, they just travel. They're just mm -hmm. the perfect lives. They're just traveling all the time, sitting in business class. And here's the techno crane. So I don't like that aspect. So I'm sort of balancing where my image on Insta is slightly more like, I don't know, posting like articles I like or, or some silliness I like. But then again, at the same time in the feed, not in the stories, I take it relatively seriously where it's photography or it's screen grabs and all of that mm. stuff. But it's like a very, very balancing game. And I understand because I've been on set where a couple of times people said, not maybe there, but I met director or something because they're like, yeah, I followed you for like a year. Mm. And they were more liking the personality. And I guess that's where it can be kind of useful where they like you. Okay, you're a nice guy. Or like we have certain similar interests. So, you know, Ben is very funny. And, and you know, so certain things sort of sells you as well as persona. It's almost like constant interview. You're constantly yeah. being interviewed. Fuck up, Sam. Give us fuck another, give us another so, one. Fuck up. Second one is... <laughs> yeah um confusing the dates so that was times before agent 
Mm. I missed in a job because I said I'm not available, only misreading the dates in the email. So I called straight away, maybe 15 minutes later, and the job was gone. I was no. like, oh, fuck. That job could have changed your career. That job yeah. could have... Or I could have been hit by a car. Or you never got it. But I had that, yeah. So I really appreciate kind of the team at the agency looking after all that. That really takes away the strain and confusion yep. sometimes. Nice. What about yourself? Did you feel a change when you got signed up? No. <laughs> um, I'm with Vision Artists, uh, formerly mm-hmm. Vision at Wizard. They're lovely. I love them pieces. I've been with them for three years, and I was with a big agency before that for a year. And then I spent a long time without an agent. For me, it didn't change stuff overnight at all. There's no such thing as, for me, in my opinion, as any big change in a career. Everything is glacial, you know, like every yes. stage of the way. But no, and this is not true for everybody, but for me, it's been, it's glacial in a quite nice way. You know, I think for so, 99% it's glacial and there's 1% which sort of shoots from having good pictures on Insta to being some of the biggest people around. Totally. But then people think that's the normal like way to do it. And it's not, it's like, it's, you have to like really emphasize it's not for it's, 99% it's, it's not. It's definitely not. I, I mean, nothing, you know, but I totally agree that is a 1% of DOPs. The rest is learning your craft taking your fucking time getting having very occasional lucky breaks which slightly shift your career mm-hmm. rather than big ones which rocket ship it to somewhere yeah a lot of people seem very focused on agents and i'm, I'm not sure that yeah i, I think they're very important but then to get on with the agent is vital i love my agent to pieces but in terms of a magic wand a silver bullet which will sort of sort your career out it's they're definitely yeah. not a thing you just don't know which job is going to kind of bring yes. you to that next step up. If you totally. imagine like a hundred steps, you just, yeah. you, like some surprises came from like a fucking Facebook job. When I was like looking for jobs on Facebook groups, shot something that was seen by a friend of director who then gets signed by like a Pulse or RSA. And then we shoot a bunch of commercials <laughs> in subsequent years. Never would have fucking imagined. It came from like yeah. a Facebook post. What's your next? My next fuck up. Again, which something which I keep on writing down, which I've written down four times, which is I'm going to read them out one by one. Practicals. Make sure they have controllable ones. Scoops, for fuck's sake. Just generally pay attention to them if you're using them. Stop trying to use Hue LIFX. Get control over every, every single one. You should have changed all the cracks. It would have been much better. Fucking damn light has killed you. You know, like these. I like the anger. Out. I like the anger. But because because I, I have to talk talk to myself like this, otherwise I don't learn. Yeah. Uh, so, and it's the anger I do to myself because it's like I come away from a shoot going, oh, it's down lighters. If I could go back in time yeah. and kill, you know, Hitler or something like that, or go back in time and kill the person that invented recessed ceiling down lighters there wouldn't be any worries because there'd be no more recessed ceiling down lighters. I fucking hate those things. I hate them in my house. I hate them like on set. At least, They're yeah. awful. At least so, the so, concentration camps would have been lit well, yeah. Well, yeah so, so, but I, <laughs> I, I, I hate, essentially for me, it's all about control of cracks. And it's something I forget again and again and again and again because you sort of bridges this gap of art departments and camera departments. It mm. sort of always sort of falls to the wayside slightly unless it's just bog standard sort of ikea paper ones which everyone loves and easy for me i sort of i don't forget but i always end up it always seems to be the last thing on my list of things to sort out i've got loads of kino flows brilliant i got i got some sky panels don't worry about it oh i forget about the cracks which are everywhere and they're doing loads of light in your scene and they're lighting your sometimes they're lighting your car sometimes doing all sorts of shit like that and you're like you've got to fucking control those things and for me and you've got like like own the control of them you've got to control the color temperature their color their, their shape are they soft are they hard like really like that's sort of and that, and that falls into location so you're sort of bridging this yeah. you know your bit of location a bit of art department but it's actually really as a DP, it's down to you i seem to not be able to learn that lesson uh, what's your relationship with gaffer like would you say that's also something a gaffer could, could look after yeah. and that's also a note to them like yeah totally. of course controlling yeah, absolutely. You know, they need to be all over that shit as well. But ultimately, you're the gaffer's boss. So, you know, if, if the light sparks up and it's the wrong colour temperature, it's it's your fault. You know, it, you know it, it falls to you as DAP. You started to simplify massively. Like, I looked at some of your lighting stuff on um, mm. the, the end, and I was shocked by... Because nowadays, you're meant to kind of show, oh, look how much cool gear... And some of mm. your stuff is like a window and a negative. Is it something you arrived at or is it something to do with the show? 
or is it just your new way to do it? It's a bit of both, actually, really, to be honest. In, on the end of the fucking world, I inherited a very stylish show. What you find is, so I was very exceptionally lucky in the first instance. I watched the show a few times, and I was like, yeah, I don't know how much actual lighting is on here. You can't tell. The problem is you can never tell actually what's behind camera. You can tell what the end result is, and you can mimic an end result, but it's very hard to see exactly what it is. To be honest, also, you know, obviously, like all of us, have always loved the work of Roger Deakins, which is always very simple, available light work. And so for the end of the fucking world, two, I kind of felt like, one, I think the first series, they did quite simple setups in it, I'm not quite sure, but it's definitely a way we should have been going. And then after speaking to the director, so we definitely wanted to go in that, into that approach for lighting from that, in that way. I think one of the things which I really like about the first series is it feels like a kind of an indie film. It feels like a sort of weird 90s American indie film where they didn't mm-hmm. have much money. So to approach it in that way was a really fun challenge and it gives us sort of an honesty about it. So a little bit of both. Number one, I think the style of the first series, to a degree, I don't know if that's necessarily a rule which they made to not use any, you know, to use a minimum amount of lighting. But it's certainly a rule which we, which Lucy Forbes, my director and I made, was to be minimalist with the lighting. And it's certainly something which I enjoy doing. The problem with like commercials, which is most of my work, is you have to have so much stuff in your back pocket. With the drama, at the end of the day, if it doesn't look quite good enough, you know, you're the only person who's disappointed, generally. As long as it's on time, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly, as long as you finish on time, exactly. Whereas with a commercial, you kind of enter into a world where you are getting 18Ks when M18s will do, because what you don't want is to never say you can't give it more stock or you can't do this. So you're entering into a world where you're backing yourself up with yeah. more and more lights and more and more fuss and more and more flags and more and more everything because you don't want to be that person when I says, I want to see the front and back in focus at the same time. You don't want to say, okay, so I can't, because your job isn't to say I can't. Your job is to say, yeah, no problem at all. And to, to hell with the M18s, whatever it is. And if it's not to your taste, it doesn't matter. So kind of, especially recently, but certainly with my drama stuff, where I'm the most critical audience member, I like to do it minimally. I like to work available light. I like to sort of take that and do very simple tricks. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, just, I don't like big lights with beams of light coming through stuff and things like that. Um, for my work, obviously, there's amazing stuff which looks like that. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it makes total ramble. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder, because on, on a commercial, annoyingly, that would mainly be wasted an amount of takes. I can mm. see 30, 40 takes sometimes of some ridiculous fucking stuff instead of moving yeah. on. So I wonder from your experience on in TV, on drama, whether that would be kind of moved into other departments, art having more time, or will it be like directors working with people more? Where would that time one go? I mean, it goes to complete the fucking, goes to complete the day, <laughs> really. You know, and, and it goes on to everything. I haven't done many huge budget TV shows. End of the fucking world was not a big budget. It's definitely a low budget show. So, you know, I still don't know what it's like to one day, hopefully, to have loads of money and loads of time and loads of prep and all that. And, you know, the money to have pre-lights every single day and big lights and stuff like that. So I think you sort of lean into what you've got. And if it's low budget, do something simple. Yeah, I don't know where that time you win goes. It goes to more shots. It goes to a director with more time with the cast. It goes to a couple more mm-hmm. takes of the cast, perhaps. You know, as long as you feel you're happy with what you're getting, then to be honest, in my opinion... And this maybe leads on to my next fuck up, really. In my opinion, the way I did this in the fucking world to some of it really worked with available light. But I think actually I was a bit too much of a slave to that way of working in places. There was Mm -hmm. times where I don't think it worked. And one of the main things actually is looking after leads, which is another thing which I wrote down on here. That you don't think they look good enough in some shots? There's a couple of times in that. And, And also in other things I've shot over the years. And I've written down things like, Oh my fucking god! Look after your leads, please, for fuck's sake. F F S S S S S. That that was from the end of the fucking world. There's a couple of times where maybe a couple of different members of cast, who knows, don't look what I would say ideal. I'm like, that's not the way to treat any kind of cast at all. Even if you have your convictions as a DOP and you want this to look real and honest and you know available lights and you know shaping available lights and sometimes very occasionally. Um, you've got an overcast sky above you and you've got no bounce anywhere. And if one of your rules was no polyboard, you can break that fucking rule for the sake of not making someone look absolutely ghastly. So, I, you know, and, and obviously I'm the, my worst critic for those sort of things. So I think one of my... Yeah, and I was going to ask, did you ever had it that 
someone else but not you notice that no, did no, you ever no, have no. someone else be like mm, like what's going on here? like not kind of... not not remotely not at all not a, mm. not a pit but then also that back into this constant because i so like, agree with this point yeah i had that on a commercial where people be like mm, like what is this and you're like I, i've had that on commercials yes absolutely and I, yes i definitely have but not not on a not on a drama because again you're sort of your your own worst critic because also there's again this we talked about at the start there's this sort of post-rationalization thing where people assume you intended stuff and you don't always most of the time you do a lot of you know majority of stuff we do is done with intent but sometimes it's happy uh, accidents and sometimes there's sad accidents but either way you're sort of seen to be a master of the image which isn't always true because sometimes you just got fucking lucky and you forgot the sun was gonna be over there and backlighted everything and it looks fucking amazing and you, you're like let's turn over now and they turn over and you manage to turn over that was the plan like, that was the plan totally and then you post rush and say yeah so i spent yeah. months there waiting for the sun to be in exactly the right you place. see that yeah yeah we have 20 minutes spare over this goal yeah <laughs> but, 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 but equally, sometimes, you know, I don't know, for me, end of the fucking world, segueing into looking after my leads, I, I think you, I was a bit too much of a slave to sort of a natural light only, available light only, you know, minimal lighting type thing on it, possibly. It worked really well sometimes, didn't work well so well in a couple of other times. Choosing or not choosing projects. I think the mistake I make sometimes. So stuff I say okay. no to, thinking it's not going to be that good or interesting. But then I see the end result, or I find out the director made it, and I'm like, ah, oh, fucking hell. Like I had it where, like a small kind of a thing he was meant to shot, I would turn it down. The next job that director did was a Rihanna music video, and I was like, right, <laughs> fucking great. <laughs> so, and I had it a couple of times. Why did you turn down those jobs? On a couple occasions was uh, the budget sounded wrong. There was just not enough money to do what they sort of thought I can do at the budget. So they were pointing at previous commercial or music video I have done. And they were like, something like that. And you're like, well, that's a quarter of the budget. So it's going to be yeah. kind of a bit smaller than that. And they would push and push. And I'd be like, sorry, guys, I just don't want to commit to to not doing a good job. Because it is, you do have a link between the look, especially in commercials, and the money. You just do. Mm. You get a better food stylist if it's a food commercial. You get better locations if it's a car commercial. You go to a better country to shoot it, and so on, so on. Yeah. Did you have something of, of similar kind of career <clears throat> path mistakes? Nothing specific. I mean, I've always just said yes to everything, which is its own, you know, issue. Most of my directors are friends of mine, and they're like, oh, do you want to come do a music video in wherever it is? And you go, yeah, cool. Um, that sounds like fun, which, you know, if I look back over two decades of work, often I've missed out on other really good jobs because I've been doing something which isn't as good as a thing which I missed out on, mm -hmm, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know. So sort of because no, of overlap? Because of overlap, yeah. And, and that's really my only the way I feel I've, you know, fucked up like that. We've discussed the sort of the career path and kind of the the gen Zed who wants everything now, ideally in at most six months. Did you ever had that in Korea where you were like having slight anxiety? Like, am I making it? Did I did I make it yet? Like, where when will I make it? Do you have anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I still do. Yeah, surely. I mean, like, I expect Roger Deakins sits there and he goes, "Why didn't I get the new Star Wars film or whatever?" And like, you know, we must with hair. Yeah. I guess it's two answers to your question. One, no, not really, because I, you know, I bumbled my way through my career so far, in all honesty. You know, I've just sort of gone from one thing to another and really not had any, it's only the past five years that I've really sort of been able to sort of steer my career a little bit and realise what's out there and realise kind of how it works and how it works, really, to bring any kind of consistency to it. But what I have had is jealousy. And I think it's whenever I talk to sort of up-and-coming gear people, which I do all the time, it's a note about how you can't look at other people's careers and go i deserve that you know why are they doing that i this is not right and i used to think that i used to sort of have a, have this sort of jealousy of other dop's careers i go oh my god i'm really jealous of the work they do when's my turn when's my chance to get the big phone call when's when do i get to go use the alexa 65 or whatever the fuck it is you know whatever it was it was this sort of slow plot of jealousy in the back of my mind which is one of the most poisonous things you can have as a dop or an, or an artist, like it really is deeply, deeply poisonous to, to, to what you do. And it took me a little while to, to get rid of it. I've got actually on my work notes, I've got a little mantra right at the top, 
which is about jealousy. And it's, and it's really self-healthy, and I hate that kind of shit. I totally, but, I totally, but, totally, 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 totally and, agree. And, and especially in the beginning of careers, I find so many people are like, oh, my God, my, my friend got this job, and why did he get this job? You can't act like that. You've got to, you can't think like that at all, because it's so much of what we do is down to, down to luck. You just got to do your best job and not look over your shoulder what the other DP is doing. You need to look at what they're doing because you need to look at their work. But the best thing I've always done is, in, since I've got over this, is to be inspired by other people's work. If you see something which you like, don't be jealous that you didn't shoot it, but love the fact that it exists. Be impressed by it and embrace it. And when you see that DOP, say, actually, it's fucking good, mate. Well done. Um, and, and especially in industry this open, I think we're very, very lucky to be living, say, in, in London, where we have a shit ton of great DPs. And I think that's not a problem. I think some people see it, oh, well, fuck, it's impossible to get a job. It's possible to get a job. And secondly, it's possible to basically dial anyone you want and they will answer your questions. Yeah. They'll be so open to answer your questions. The way when I was remembering and starting in doc work, I would call DPs who shot my favorite docs and we'll talk for some hours. And I think that's the, the beauty of open industry. The people not like, well, fuck it. I'm not going to say how I lit this car like a anyone would answer you like how they lit this yeah. car also the way I actually got really over my jealousy as well was to whenever something was really good I screenshotted it and I put it in my references folder and made sure that next time I ripped it off and, and copied it <laughs> so that's, 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 that's how I really, that's how I really way, yeah. but it, it's true it's or, or it you learn or you learn from mistakes because that's the way to do it as well you're like Yes. Well, this looks great as a final product. Now, now tell me what were the issues like, and you're like, great, yeah. someone already fucking made these mistakes, so you might as well learn from them. And I think yeah. we're kind of open as a group to be like, yeah, well, this fucking didn't work. You tried. What an age we fucking live in as well. When I first started, I, mean, I didn't even know what DOP was, but there was I used to go on a Steadicam forum uh, to read about what what Steadicams are. It was like 2001, 2002. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. There's people that will tell you what Steadicam does and how it works or whatever. Like, but now we've got... Well, cinematography.com forum, remember? With David Allen. You're like, oh, my God, you can ask the ASC, DP, anything. That blows your mind. But now it's even more accessible. Like, just yeah. fucking ask someone. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you get the same thing. You get sort of... I assume you get up and coming to your piece, asking you questions, asking how you shot stuff. And that's just... A, it's a wonderful thing to be able to give back to people. And I always think that whatever stage of your career you are there's always someone in front of you there's always someone behind yeah. you yeah it's always important to give to the people who are up and coming who are behind you you know who are a couple of years behind you or whatever it is yeah really, so really if anyone's surprised. listening and, and you made it don't don't be lazy to answer a couple of questions mm. like obviously it's also a question to those another question it's a request to those asking questions i'm sure like you will support me in that that if it's Googleable, like I saw your film lights talk and you're like, how many people asked, what did you shoot it on? And I was like, guys, you're wasting your chance to actually ask a question because obviously mm. Ben is not going to reply to everyone. Well, it just it's 30 second Google what the shot was like show was shot on. You might as well ask him something that people haven't asked yet and, and learn from that. Uh, there was a couple great questions. Anastasia Boutrim is asking, have you ever been misunderstood in the way you present yourself slash communicate? Do you want to answer that first? <laughs> I would say yes. I would say not frequently, but coming from sort of post-Soviet Eastern Bloc, the bluntness sometimes is mistaken for rudeness. The way I communicate sometimes and living here for a bunch of years, I sort of softened a bit, but the kind of the, the Soviet way might be a bit more blunt. If it's shit, you just say it's shit. Where obviously British way, you still say it's shit, but you just say it very politely. You know, it's, this is great, but, and then that basically means it's shit. So that took me a bit of time because people were miss reading that what about yourself did you did you feel ever not really i mean i guess there's, there's sort of two for me there's two parts one is i mumble a lot i talk too fast and so in a very basic sense yeah often people go what uh, and i have to and i have to repeat myself <laughs> what again what did you say uh, and i repeat myself slowly and breathe through it uh, so that I get misunderstood in that way. I also get misunderstood as well because I'm, I don't know how many people are listening who are English. I sound quite posh and people think because I sound posh, I am posh. I'm actually very not posh. 
and I come from East London, quite a working class family in East London. I just have a fucking posh accent because my dad. How did that happen in and East it, London? It's just it's fucking random. My dad, my dad used to have lots of money before I was born. I've got his accent. Problem is, I'm not actually that smart and well educated, uh, and I sound like I'm a bit posh and well educated and smart and everything. Like that, and I'm actually not. I'm just fucking like whatever, just trying to get through it. Oh, so man, it's it, the humbleness. That... People often no, obviously people often understand like who I am. They think I'm some kind of posh kid. But imagine to, that's for someone who's like listening, not not from UK, even someone who's listening from US to, to an extent, they might be sort of surprised <laughs> with discussing class to an extent. Mm. That there is that stigma that you meant to be from a slightly working class background, because then it means you made it from bottom up. And there is that sort of stigma, well, you're just fucking rich, right? Your parents are rich. And, and that's why there is a bit of that tension. You can see it on set because often agency people in, in commercials do come from slightly more privileged background they say crew and so there is a bit of that clash of talking slightly different languages and values but then i don't know if that's true maybe the values are fucking the same the number of times i've gone fucking hell i just sound like a big posh cunt who's fucking mumbling away when, and that's not who i am on an american I'm, job and they're like cunt yeah yeah being understood is really important so aside from those two Tiny little side things. I think being able to communicate as DOP is really important. Being able to communicate what needs to happen is really important. In the heat of the moment, often that doesn't happen, but then you hopefully your crew will translate for you. I have amazing camera crew who. He doesn't mean that. Mumbling instruction, which barely makes sense. They know what I'm talking about, which is great. Um, yeah. I yeah. guess it helps with directors as well. I sort of remember vividly a couple of directors who I work with for a long time now on some of the first jobs that you like it takes time to get used to each other's language because then you're like, ah, oh, it's not, it's just them in the mood today because directors do have kind of bigger volatility, I find, than an average DP. They will mm. be much more mood inclined to mood swings because they're a bit more, on average, again, they're a bit more sensitive than a DP. DP is more grounded. So I think mm. that sometimes shocks you when you work with relatively big names and you're like, Oh, interesting. I didn't know they are like that, but it might be just a bad day. They're not really like that. So it's, yeah. people tend to judge like, like this very, very quickly. One of the things which I wrote down in my list of things to talk about with you about fuck-ups was, I call it my spidey sense, which is something which I've taken a long time to get in tune with. And yes. I've written it down for a little while, but I've written about about 10 times before prior to the past six months, which is trust your spidey sense, listen to your spidey sense, for fuck's sake, listen to your spidey sense, which is, you know, when you've been doing this for a long enough time, like you say, you know, you kind of, you develop a bit of a sixth sense about various things. And it's important to listen to that rather than necessarily always take other people's opinion. You know, you sort of play this sort of, it's almost like being in a, sometimes being in a big production meeting is being like being in a law court, you know, you're like, you, you, you're there as, you know, a, a barrister saying, this is my opinion, this is what I think we should be doing, and someone else gets their opinion. And sometimes, you know what, bottom line is, sometimes you're just fucking right. For me, yeah. it's taken a long time to get used to that, because I'm like, well, you know, let's all just talk about it and work together. But actually, if you really, really know, deep down, if your spidey sense is going, oh, that's a fucking nightmare, it's important to say that. But it's, it's funny how to say that without being a dickhead. Uh, yeah, that's that's, uh, that's a fucking art. That's, that's uh, yeah, exactly. not what you shot this on, but the art of telling someone we need a moco here. I know it's not a moco commercial, but you need a motion control unit, or you're gonna die like on middle of day two because it's just not fucking gluing together. Yeah, that's the art. That's exactly, the, that's the art. Exactly, you say exactly what you need and being very firm about it, but not being a dickhead about it. Yeah, and explaining it with previous examples, like okay, this took this amount of time to shoot with this gear. We can try different ways, but let's have a plan B at least if there's not much time and money yeah. for for motion control. That's so true. Yes, yeah. yeah, someone said in the comments, I had a DP who seemingly ordered two of everything. Our AD called the grip truck Noah's Ark. Twice as long. Talking about dock work as well, we were discussing light and simplification. Again, that would be my advice actually to young DPs to not maybe so much push into polished commercial work, but try to shoot small docks, small docks about the subject you're interested in or a city you're interested in, and try not to make it too generally, oh, here's a gimbal running through the streets of Italy. Because fucking mm -hmm. anyone can make that look nice with a bit of filtration and backlight. But more, okay, let's try to shoot this kind of a bland looking restaurant in an interesting way in pretending it's a dock 
I think you learn so much from you know from just turning the lights off in a room sometimes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yes. Like it looks looks half the way there basically for yep. for a doctor looking piece. Okay, so do you have any other points of fuck ups, or should we answer some of the questions? I think what maybe one more thing for me, which is should we do? Yeah, one more each. Yeah. Yeah, why not? One of the big ones for me is, and I've titled it, being middle management, mm-hmm. which is about sort of as a DOP, you're a head of department. You know, you do have to be some kind of leader. You have to uh-huh. be a team leader, and that's a thing that's taken me ages to sort of get used to. It's about uh, what I've written down is, and there's some swear words in here, but I'm going to, you know, my mood affects my crew's mood. Don't lose your cool ever. Stay cool. The bad bits have been when you don't. So I think for me, it's about making sure that, you know, you understand that how you behave is how your crew are going to behave. And if you're really stressed, they're going to get stressed. Or if you show your stress, they're going to get stressed. You can't let that mask slip, really. You might be there going, Oh my God, we're going to fucking run out of time here. This is terrible. Typing into the nose. <laughs> Why didn't I ask for a second camera? But the second you start putting that out there is the second it starts all going wrong. And I'm not yeah. saying you have to be mega English and fucking stiff up a lip and internalize it all and hate yourself. But I think there is, you have to be slightly in control of that filter because just like an angry director raging around the place, shouting and throwing scripts doesn't make anyone work any better. A DOP who rages around the place and is fucking angry and stops it's a crying. weakness. It's another <laughs> angle of a weakness. Yeah, totally. You're showing your your tell. It's your tell. It's you losing the poker game straight away. You know, also because you got to look after your crew. Your crew will bleed and die for you if you're willing to bleed and die for them. Your crew mm-hmm. will give you a smile if you smile at them. If you're nice to cast, your crew will be nice to cast. If you work fucking hard, if you're the first person there on set, they'll be the first people there on set. So, you know, you, you actually, one of the sort of notes, which I've made again and again and again, which not because of any particular bad moment particularly, but it's just about how you've, you're head of the department, you're head of a camera crew and you're head of a lighting crew. You fucking act like it, act like it. I notice if you are late on, say, a multiple day shoot, be it a doc or commercial, I had it where I was late on the first two days. For whatever reason, there's no excuse your crew tends to be sort of a bit more lenient with themselves being late. They're like, okay, another five minutes late. So the next day is 10, 10 minutes late. But if you lead, especially I noticed in the beginning of the day or beginning of a shoot, if it's a multiple day shoot, you need to establish it there. And then you can usually relax a little bit. They know you better. They know their moods. But if you show that panicky, for example, the stressfulness day one, they're like, fuck that's how he's going to be for like 16 days or whatever 32 days that's going to be tough because everyone also wants to enjoy the process people are there to enjoy the fucking process how whatever tough it is they don't want that for 32 days so if you kind of establish that's the fucking mood we're going to be working in uh, you sort of lose them pretty quickly because the same way it goes for you imagine like a stressy director you're like oh my god there's like 31 day left of this if you slack it off at a camera prep level it tends to be that they sort of think, oh, okay, that's his attention to detail. We can sort yeah. of not put the monitor you were planning. We can miss some of the filters. One of the lenses is missing. And I notice if you don't call it out soon, they'll be like, oh, well, that's the attention to detail. That's the assisting they're going to deserve for the next week or something. Yeah. My last one would be kind of a relatively big is under reading the script. Mm. So, because sometimes I'm given a script for an interview, because interesting, we have different kind of stories where your directors usually go into long form. So you go with them where I come fully from commercial docker world, but this is all new to me, the long form and drama and features. So I usually don't know these directors. I haven't worked with them at least. Sometimes I'm given very little time. I'm given, for example, a day or day and a half. And sometimes I don't have enough time to sort of feel the script. And I started making that a priority to at least read it two times, ideally three times before the Mm. interview. Because sometimes I had it where they reference something and I sort of remember it, but not fully to discuss it fully. You're like, I'm feeling this discussion is going somewhere, but I don't remember, for example, the little details or forgetting character's name. I feel Mm. director will be offended by that when you're like, you know, the the mom of, of, of Amy. You're like, yeah, 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 that's the name. You sort of, fuck, it kind of shows you haven't really read it enough times to remember, say, five, six names. And I had that. Yeah, how do you approach reading a new, new script? Have you had slip-ups? We're like, well, shooting a different scene. Yeah, I mean, my first ever scripted job was a TV show, Hollyoaks, 
here in the UK. So it's a, a soap. We did the like the film version of it. So we did like it was like late at night, um, ah, so mm-hmm. a bit of swearing and a bit of sex and a bit of violence. And it was like six one hours. We shot me Alexa. Um, it's 2012. But one of my worst days of my life ever, still to this day, was when they gave me 600 pages of Hollyoaks scripts overwritten too all too long all 100 pages they should have been 60 like that thick and i was like the fuck am i going to do with this and i had to read it i had to know what was going on in like this sort of did you have enough time or was it just ridiculous time well no i I had enough time i had prep and i had enough time but it's sort of finding the sort of the mental agility to (laughs) memorize a 600 page book um so yeah no look i yeah i totally agree for me some knowing the script is I try and read it back before I shoot about three or four times before I've only done two interviews. So it's pretty not a good example, but before I shoot, I would have read it once when I first get it. I would have read it a second time, a bit closer to prep. And then you sort of do different stages of work on it. So you kind of, the first time I just try and be like, I'm just going to fucking read it and see what happens and try and get into it. Try and treat it like a book, which I like and go, Oh fucking yeah. What's happening next? Great, great, great. And just enjoy it. That's amazing Um, sign. If that happens, you're like, that's just amazing. Totally. I know everyone else reading it is like, this is amazing. I want this. But that's exactly a that, good sign. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. You go, oh my God, it's amazing. It's a bit tough when you go, oh, this is shit. But anyway, it's a different story for another time. Yeah. But yeah, when it's good, it's fucking amazing. And then sort of second reading, normally it's, I guess, it, I guess it's for an interview. So you kind of start making, thinking about visual things. And then it's sort of, you sort of break it down. You go super granular. This is the thing actually, which when you're actually going to prep a series, something which I remember directors who haven't done much drama when they talk to me when they start they go oh my god how are you this is just too much stuff to to prep i can't take this this is like all this shit we got to film this what how are you doing this you literally you break it down and you break it down and you break it down again so you break it down per episode break it down per part per scene per line you know just keep on granulizing it until it's easy until it's a close-up on a person and then the commercial director goes like perfection 30 takes 30 <laughs> takes of this exactly, yeah another fucking two thousand shots to go uh, so yeah i don't think i've ever had a problem particularly but uh, yeah i know you know like it is something which i often talk to my crew about because funnily enough my camera crew never read the fucking script and it always angers me i know it's not really their job but I it's always, time in it they just there's no way i always think come on guys just read it once uh, I think I've managed to get through to my main regulars about when we do a, a script job. Just give it a read. It'll make them understand what's going on a bit better. But the problem is you get the sides. I mean, even on the day, even with every shoot, you get the sides in the morning on the catering bus. You get your pages to read of that you're shooting that day. And then sometimes... Do you want to explain what's... You've kind of just done it. Like, what's the sides for those who might not? So for anybody who doesn't work in drama, when you in the morning, you get on your catering bus at 7 o'clock in the morning, always there at 7 calls at eight o'clock you get her at seven o'clock you get given a call sheet for the day with a schedule on it so you, you get given a little bit of paper by the third ad uh, and they give you something called the sides as well normally it's like about that big it's like half an a4 sheet size and that is the pages of dialogue and scripts that you've got to shoot in that day and that's all you're shooting in that day sometimes you might shoot a little bit extra sometimes you might not complete uh-uh. um, and but usually generally... that's when majority actually reads the script <laughs> exactly yeah that's when most crew read script but it's, of course it's all out of order because you've got something from f1 yeah, to yeah, f4 because you're in this one location or whatever it is you know so kind of yeah the sides are like a vital amazing thing and it has been on occasion i have been known to open up my go past the call sheet look at the sides and go Oh, what's that to say? I forgot about that. <laughs> so, but you know, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to, to be totally over every single fucking page of every single scene in every single, you know, episode as a DOP. Yeah, I mean, obviously you need to know what's going on, but equally, and you need to have broken it down, but to know every utterance before you get to the shoot, almost not necessarily your job, but maybe it is. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm really what's fucking... Uh, yeah, no, I totally <laughs> agree, yeah. But it's also... Have you ever had it where the script is this interesting, but there's also references because it's based on real events, for example, that it sort of distracts you because you're like, let me just Google it or let me just research a bit. On there. Have, not, have you had that? Yeah, yeah, I had it. I was given pretty substantial amount of pages. I was up for um, second unit for Chernobyl. And oh, right, right. it was really like low amount of days to prep for the interview. And, but I was so kind of in the story that it, I think it sort of derailed me because I had, I think, exactly two and a half days to read all of the episodes and prep for an interview, which I wasn't even sure which episode will the kind of question me on or what scenes. So I meant to read everything, but I 
finished it something like two hours before the the thing because I would just kept googling stuff left and right from all these characters. Like, this is true. That can't be true. What? Has there been times that you had to rush, cut corners, something to be on schedule that has haunted you for after the shoot? Mm. Yes. I think it's a good question. Can you talk about, say, end of the fucking world? Has there been something you look at now and you're like, fuck, I wish I did it the other way? Yeah, buckets, loads. I wish there's loads of times I wish I didn't complete and shot something better or got a couple of less shots or it took my time and then the director had less takes or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, all the time. Yeah, it's full of that. I mean, I think for me, in terms of what I'm trying to learn now is how to balance that out how so i've always been like you got to complete you got to finish today you got to finish on time every day that's not necessarily necessarily true you know your job is to do produce good work number one secondly to complete it's, it's art of this is art of sort of which i'm way learning and i'm sure we'll learn forever making it look good but also completing and that push and pull so yes so many times i've cut corners myself or self-censored my time and my my work and had something else something which to come down and switch shit and in the fucking world yeah, there's loads of stuff in there i'm like oh my god i wish i hadn't rushed that why did i rush that oh fucking hell, that could like an iconic moment if it wasn't fucking rushed and shit but no one ever looked no one ever, no one knows that part from me yeah that's what i was gonna ask because do you objectively understand that it looks great it's like a great series it looks great it's watchable it, it acting is great edit like everything is good or do you struggle to be objective that this is a good job i've done a good job it's acceptable there's a couple of bits in it which are okay in my honest honest opinion i sit there after three beers uh two margaritas on the roof i go there's a couple of bits which are all right but most of it i'm like mm, would you oh, ever oh. have said that in in that form if it was shot by someone else would you be like this is a great show i don't know can't can't answer that question first series is great first series is fucking wicked you know, first series of like shot after shot of wickedness and wickedness. And then, you do but, understand yeah. that it can't like it's objectively both both series are good. Yeah, but it's it, it, like impossible. It's very nice of you to say that, but I'm you probably won't find a DOP who I hope you won't find a DOP who looks at their own work and goes, "Oh yeah, oh, that was yeah, of course, shit right there, of course, fucking hell, yeah. I am." Yeah, yeah, of course. I'm being devil's advocate. No, 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 you're like, no, yeah, no, you're, no, you're, Is it any yes, of your work which you like? It's exactly the same. Because I think the issue is, you know what it could have been. And it's always, always could have been better. Because mm. you're like, oh, okay, I should have fucking not turned that light on. Oh, fuck, I should have pushed for the fire alarms being off so I can haze it up a bit. I should have not fucking hazed because it looks like any other Instagram can still. Like, there's always this battle that I know what it could have been. And like you mm. say, sometimes you watch your work and you're like, ah, oh, this is actually like, this moment is good. And you, you can't really judge even anymore. Did you control it or is it just lucky good? But then, yeah. I, then I noticed there is like a cutoff when you almost forgot you shot something or you forgot like the script of it by now. You go back and watch it and you're like, that's actually quite decent. Like, yeah, wow, it's, that's it's, quite decent. Yeah, yeah, very impressive. Yeah, take this good point. Normally, I find that's actually only the only time I think that is when I feel like I've moved on from that part of my career. So I definitely look back and go, you were younger then, you wouldn't do anything like that now. But it's not as bad as you thought. Yeah. yeah. You know, perhaps you go a bit easier on your, your younger self. Yeah. Those tinted goggles. That's so true. I also had it the other way, interestingly, where there was some, I remember like a short doc, a show to like a producer trust. And she was like, yeah, it looks kind of digitally. And I'm like, I thought it looked kind of all right. And then I watched it something like a month ago. And I was like, oh, fuck me. I know what she means. It looks kind of a bit naff. But then when I was shooting it, I was like, this is quite decent. Like, this is interesting. <laughs> kind of. And then I even understood what she meant. She could maybe explain it precisely. But like, I see what she means about digitally. That sort of comment haunts you from someone you sort of trust. Oh, it fucking does. And you're like, mm, yeah, shit, does it, does it look good? That, that shit sticks. Criticism, which criticism fucking sticks. Oh my God, you can wrap your, like really get obsessed with it. I mean, my one about looking after leads is from a producer many, many years ago. Is like, you don't look after your female leads properly, do you? She said to me, I was like, what? 
Uh, and, 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 and now you have this like psychotherapeutic file. <laughs> to- totally, it's awful. But you know, that's human psyche, isn't it? Yeah, that's real weird. Do you, do you believe in this idea that if the criticism resonates, it probably means you know it's true somewhere deep? Or do you feel it usually harms? There's no positivity in it. Well, I can tell you no, because I had a producer who shall remain nameless, who was on a commercial for a large supermarket in the uk who there's an a camera i was a camera there's b camera doing some product shots in a garden next door big advert and he was a bit more the other was more experienced than me and the producer was furious at me because the flares on my camera didn't look as nice as the flares on his camera and it went on and on and it all down was like eventually i made playback or played them next to each other to check that the flares looked exactly the same and the flares looked exactly the same and it's still annoys me to this day where i was like i'm was just as good as that of a dap why were you giving me shit for this um oh, it still bugs oh. me uh even though i was totally correct and the flares were exactly the same and it was just like <clears throat> i don't know why i don't know why she picked on me something you learned recently or changed about the way you work do you want to go first or uh yeah i can go first i just had like a memory i think what i changed massively is being switched on sets which might be slightly i can't say boring but they're slightly more kind of repetitive because of the nature of the project where before i would maybe zone out a bit and not really like concentrate on one of the shots in the sequence for example like yeah i'll be fine like it's lit fine i, I don't need to sort of like I'm giving myself a break in one of the shots, for example, if it's a long day. And I learned that's the point sometimes where an experienced producer or director can be looking at you and judging your day by. They can be like, well, he's kind of a bit zoned out. Does he even care about the project? And it might be for multiple reasons. I am like that, but I'm kind of trying not to be. If I'm on job, I try to be 100% in the job for example, not prepping the next job. Sometimes we have to in commercials is sort of in the corner quietly typing the lighting list for the next job because you're both mm. prepping. And mm. the director sees you do it, they usually be like, well, he doesn't give a fuck about this job then if he's prepping the next one. And you are giving a fuck. You just have zero time in your day to actually do this lighting list for a job in, say, a day. You yeah. need it in the next hour. And that's just managing your time better mm-hmm. basically that's what mm-hmm. i thought yeah i totally agree i mean that's something which i often catch myself going going fuck i'm on my fucking phone christ they just looked at me being on my phone this is really bad i've done it too much now get the phone away make some jokes on set quick um yeah. have a laugh with the director's jokes quick distract distract yeah quick. ran back to the main clients you know the director's also your client as well and you're getting paid a lot of money to you know obviously have fun lighting playtime with them but to do the job so it, yeah it's important to be present I mean, for minor things, I actually weirdly, I find, and this is a weird admittance, and I've spoken to directors about this, the same thing, going on Instagram or doing a little thing almost becomes meditative. But there's a sort of weird thing, which sometimes I find if I'm looking at set too much, it's like, anyway, it's a bit like when you go to the grade and you're sitting in a grade and you take a break for every hour, you take a little break for two or three minutes, go outside, reset your eyes and come back into it again. I actually think, for me, I, I think I probably work better, and this is pretty sure it's too bad, actually when I sort of do a little bit, I'll check the Guardian, any news, read something about Donald Trump for 30 seconds, not a cunt, and then go back to the set, and actually when I go, oh, actually, hold on, yes, I've refreshed, I know something, I've, I've just stopped being weirdly focused and actually kicked back into the room in a way which is more effective. So I, I like to say mind breaks, so basically, uh, you use your phone while nobody's watching. I use my phone when everyone's watching. It's terrible. But then I take this out of all my crew who are on their phone. I'm like, why are you on your fucking phone? You should be paying attention to this. Read the script, you know. But obviously, always joking me because I now just get my phone out. Um, Great. Terrible fiction telephones. They're awful. What was the question? Though? The question was, have, what are the ways that have you changed or learned something recently in the, the way you work? I've got loads of little tiny things, like loads of little notes about working on low loaders and having big cards and 65mm ARRI DNA lens, the Alexa 65. It's rubbish at T1.6. 
and T2.2 is great, T2.2 is brilliant. But those little tiny notes like that. Do one, do one macro. Do one, say, in your relationship with directors. Do you have something in the last yes. year you've changed? I do, yeah. I've wrote in big letters at the top of my fuck-ups list, uh, fucking do work for yourself as much as others, which is, is something which I'm learning, which I'm trying to learn, which is falls back onto a previous question about rushing through stuff and things like that. You know, it's important to, you are your own worst critic. And this is especially true for drama, less so commercials, less so jobbing commercial stuff. If you're not happy with it at the end of it, if I'm not happy with it at the end of it, I'm the most important person to be happy at the end of all this. Hopefully by doing that, I also please the director at the same time. So obviously the director's the most important and the client's the most important, but actually it's really, really important that I'm happy with what I've done. The director's happy and the client's happy. But so often I've been in a place where the director's happy and the client's happy and I'm not happy. So to try and get into a place where I'm working for myself and making myself happy, I think is really important. The same which I've been trying to do, not at the expense of upsetting a director, not at the expense of upsetting clients, yeah. but, but just something which I'm... Which so I'm that would where lead to both of them probably being happier as well. Yeah. That, yes, totally. So that's, that's probably the thing in the past year, I think I've written that... Um, that's pretty big a big note for me awesome um, but, but then leads into a bigger chat about you know fucking careers and how you act and and how you say shit things in a nice way <laughs> <laughs> it's a special online masterclass ladies and gentlemen ben spencer in the next episode i talk to producer jenny haberstock and managing director and executive producer of pulse films us commercials arm hillary rogers how directors get signed, what to watch out for on the big commercials, and who would they save if the office caught fire. Please share this episode or the podcast if you enjoyed it. This helps us grow, leading to more guests to chat to. This was Edgar Dubrovsky. See you next week.